Welcome to another episode of the Tactical Leadership Podcast, where we focus on building better businesses. I believe in order to be the best leader that you can be, you must be willing to be the first follower and have a servant mentality when you're in a leadership position. If you want to be the best leader that you possibly can be, be sure to stay tuned and listen to industry leaders and hear how they built winning cultures in their own businesses. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the episode of The Tactical Leader. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with Tony Martinetti, and we're going to talk about how he helps elevate leaders and equip them with the tools to navigate through change. Before we begin, I'll remind you that this show is brought to you by Nightly Productions. If you're a podcaster, YouTuber, or content creator that wants to create tactical content that delivers, head over to nightly.productions and find out how we can help you create that content. Tony, welcome to the show, my friend. Thrilled to be here. Thank you for having me. And I am super stoked because I know we have a lot of similarities and, and you're going to be bringing in a, a lot of great wisdom and knowledge from obviously you have a podcast yourself, which is one of those where I know this has been a journey of leadership for myself. And I think looking at your podcast and listening to a couple of episodes, it'll be very similar. And I want to give the audience just a little bit of a rundown of your background so they know who we're talking to, where you're a trusted leadership advisor, entrepreneur, idea generator, and people connector. Your mission, like I mentioned, is to elevate leaders, equip them with the tools to navigate through change. You guide leaders who are ready to be elevated by clarifying their focus so they can transform their professional lives and realize their true potential. Two of the ways you do that is through the podcast that you host, The Virtual Campfire, which is a big piece that is always fun. I'm sure we'll chop up about that. But also, you're authoring the soon-to-be-released Climbing the Right Mountain, Navigating the Journey to an Inspired Life. So before we dive into all of that, what's a fun fact about yourself that we may not know? Well, one of the, the fun facts about me is that I am an avid climber. And I am planning to climb Mount Kilimanjaro in August of next year. I've already planned it. I've already booked my ticket and I will be doing this. So it's a big commitment, but it's something that is really near and dear to my heart. One of the things that I've always wanted to do. So it's happening. I love it. Manifesting it, go ahead and putting yourself accountable to it. And I'm assuming that's a big piece of obviously the book, Climbing the Right Mountain, Navigating the Journey to an Inspired Life. Is there a little bit of correlation between that personal journey and the book as well? I would say the book comes from this place of, and, it, and by the way, it's already released. So it's actually uh, out on the um, bookshelves now. And the book itself comes from this desire that I've always, I love climbing, but now this has challenged me to think, what's the mountain that I want to climb next? And bingo, bongo, there we go. <laughs> We're climbing the mountain that I've always wanted to climb. So it's funny how this manifested in its way into a, um, a real mountain that I want to get to. I've climbed uh, a fair amount in different places like in Europe and Northern uh, North America and South America. Never did the, um, the Everest or any of the Asian mountains, but this is going to be fun. Yeah, it definitely sounds like that. And I apologize for uh, it already being okay. released. Where can we pick up the book is, since it's already released? Is it out on like Amazon and all the normals? Yeah, yeah. Amazon's is the place to find it. And you can, you know, look for it, just look for it by my name and by the book and you can check it out. 
Love it. Definitely want to hear a little bit more about that, but let's kind of rewind a little bit and go all the way back where Mm -hmm. you kind of started your leadership journey as a finance and strategy executive along the way you've managed small businesses, you've ran a financial consulting company. Let's go all the way back to the very first leadership position that you had. What was it? What'd you love about Mm -hmm. it? (laughs) That's a great question. So I guess the first leadership position I had was when I was working in biotech. I worked at a company called Genzyme and the company was working on rare diseases. And I had this opportunity to take the lead in creating a shared service organization. Nothing, no blueprint that was created to follow, just something I had to, you know, create for myself. But it's funny, one thing I learned in those early days as a leader was that you, when you have someone who believes in you and believes in your ability to lead, that really gives you the headwind to really, to get a start. Because oftentimes we don't believe in ourselves. We don't believe in our own abilities. Sometimes you need someone else to take a chance and to say, I believe in you and I know you can do this. And then you start to build from that place to start taking chances, to start getting out of your comfort zone. And that's what I did in that moment. I started to create this chance building for myself, and it led to so many other opportunities throughout my life. I mean, Genzyme in that period was what I like to call my foundational period of learning what it means to be effective as a leader, but also how to work in a bigger organization and be and be able to make an impact. I love that. And one thing I noticed as you've gone through, you have several different certifications and there's mm-hmm. an interesting piece that I, I love talking about. And that's just psychological safety and security of different organizations that kind mm-hmm. of promote that like premier performance from their individuals, from their employees. Can you tell us a little bit about as you've gone through this journey, what that's looked like and why that became kind of an area of interest for you? Yeah. The reason why it's been a huge area of interest for me is because I feel like that was the struggle that I often face is this feeling of, you know, walking into rooms and not knowing, you know, is it safe to say what's really going on here? Is it safe to really speak the truth about what I want to put out into the world? And a lot of times there's the the dynamics of the politics that can sometimes hinder the way that things get done. And because I saw that in my own journey, and I started to see that a lot in the clients when I started to get into coaching, I realized there was a real need to focus in this area. And then I connected with Amy Edmondson and had this opportunity to really, you know, to learn at the feet of the master, really. (laughs) Uh, That was to me, the most amazing opportunity I could have had. And since then, I've brought it into a lot of forums, both in teams, but also working with people in their own way as a leader to ensure that they're looking at it, their organization through the lens of, hey, you know, am I creating an environment that is what I want? Or am I creating an environment that is stifling people, stifling innovation, stifling their ability to belong and feel safe? So that's why I really felt this connection to this work. And it's such a powerful way to lead in the world. You think a lot of that's come from lack of understanding, like where, where leaders don't necessarily have the empathy to understand employees. Where, where do you see the, the, the blind spot for leaders in that arena being? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. And I think some of this comes down to this element of like, I don't think that every leader comes into the room and says, this is, you know, I had this ill intent or there's this, and there's ever really an ill intent to 
treat people poorly or to create an environment that people don't feel safe in, you know, there's, they just don't, they fall into habits. They fall into patterns. Patterns are something that we create because it's convenient and comfortable, but we, we have to sometimes step away from, you know, the work and see what's really going on. You know, what are the things that are under the pattern that we're stuck in so that we can know, are we treating our people the way we want to be treating them? Or are we just, you know, getting so busy and wrapped up in the work that we're not really seeing the forest through the trees, that our empathy muscle hasn't been built because we've been so focused on productivity and not allowing ourselves to be the leader we want to be, the intended leader we wanted to be. And as you kind of grew up in the corporate world in that construct, and now you you shifted, and I want to mention, you do have a leadership consulting firm where it's called overall, you're navigating leaders through change, inspiration through honest conversation, which I think is a really interesting aspect. But overall, the organization is called Inspired Purpose Coach. And that's a big piece of what you focus on. Yeah. I, I'm curious, as you've gone through all of this from being under leaders that you found might've stifled that creativity to now coaching leaders. Have you found a characteristic that you're like, this is where it's at. This is what I want to highlight in you as an individual to kind of bring about that more premier top tier uh, leader for their organization? Yeah. I mean, here's what I'll start with is that each person has their own, what I call leadership fingerprint. You can't just adopt you know, someone else's style of leadership and just expect the same results. You have to find out from your own perspective, how I will lead most effectively. But that doesn't mean that, you know, every style is, is perfectly suited for every organization. When I think about from a high level, what are the styles that are most effective? One of them that I found is that you, you have to strike that balance between what I call compassionate and accountability, holding people accountable and being compassionate for people, seeing people for who they truly are and, and knowing that you're, you've got their back, but also realizing that you have a results you're looking for and you're pulling them towards this, you know, what they need to create for their organization. So I think leadership is really about finding that balance and striking it well. And the more experience a person has navigating the world of leadership and the world of work, the more you become skilled at knowing when to strike that balance, uh, when to go in one direction versus the other. And there are other parts of the continuum that are, are really important to look at, the skills that we need to really hone to become more effective. I think a lot of that, and I, I love that you highlight this piece of it, you really highlight that leaders are readers and you can really learn. I, I think it's a big piece that you can learn through other great leaders, right? You've highlighted mm -hmm. several books from Star mm -hmm. With Why and The Infinite Game, Simon Sinek, to Good to Great with Jim Collins. I mean, there, you've highlighted several of these on your website. Is there one in particular that has stood out to you that really was kind of like a catalyst for you in this leadership journey? It's a great question. I think I'm going to choose two, but I'm going to start with one and I'll lead into the other. So the first one that I always come back to, because it's such an amazing piece of work, is the seven habits of highly effective people. And I just think that when, you know, Stephen Covey wrote it, it was just every single, you know, habit that he outlined just made absolute sense. It was so common sense. And every day when I think about the things that the way I navigate the world, I'm always thinking, 
God, first seek to understand and then, then be understood, you know, begin with the end in mind. These are tenets that just make the things come into clarity. So for me, that one really landed squarely. And the other one, and this is one that you might not quite, maybe you haven't heard of, it's called The Art of Possibility by Benjamin Zander. And Benjamin Zander is actually the conductor of the Boston Youth Orchestra. Now, not someone I would typically think of, but he wrote this book about the idea of, you know, creating possibilities for ourselves and the tools and the, some of the teachings that he has in this book are really powerful um, to really reframe the way we look at the world and see possibilities in every situation. Yeah, it's, you know, I can go on for hours about this book, but it's really powerful. Yeah, that's one I've not heard of. And, and a big piece of it is that you have all of these linked on your website. So I love that yeah. you give that as a resource because I agree. I think it's a huge thing that true leaders need to read more. And I actually just got, oh man, my mind literally just blanked on it, but it's uh, meditations. I just got meditations and I'm, I'm really fascinated by the stoicism of like ancient philosophers that were also leaders and rulers and the way they integrated stoicism into their leadership. I think it's really fascinating, but how would we know that if we're not reading, right? Yeah. And it's funny you mentioned, you know, Marcus Aurelius, that meditations is such a powerful book. I ask people at the end of my podcast every time, like, what are one or two books that have had an impact on you and why? And I think it's a powerful way to understand what has really informed their journey. And that book has mentioned almost all the time by people. It's like, it's probably the most referenced book uh, of all time, but I've had everything from like children's books to, you know, obscure, obscure books, but we all have been impacted by books. And I think that's, it's great. I mean, that's how we learn. That's how we connect with the past philosophies and learnings and then take them, integrate them, and then move forward from there. Yeah, I agree hundred percent. And it's interesting because that one was, I've had that one brought up several times on this show. I'm like, mm-hmm. all right, at some point I just actually need to read it and actually dig into it. And it's pretty fascinating because it, it is very interesting. The mindset of a philosopher leader. And that's really what Marcus really is kind of focused on is that, I guess, last great blended philosopher leader that you don't really see anymore in the stoicism aspect of things. And um, a couple of books, and you mentioned this earlier, but a couple of books that I have really enjoyed were the books from Jocko Willink, Extreme Ownership and the Dichotomy of Leadership. And you mentioned accountability earlier. And it's funny, in my leadership journey, I've seen the extreme ownership piece from the military where, oh, we got to take ownership for everything. But until the dichotomy of leadership came out and they talked about accountability being that dichotomy, you mentioned that earlier with accountability being really key. Have you seen that be like too far to one extreme where people are taking ownership, but not maintaining accountability, or maybe they're maintaining accountability, but not really taking that ownership with their own decisions? Yeah. I mean, to be honest, absolutely. I mean, almost daily, I see this situation play out. And I think that's why whenever I'm coaching with people, I'm trying to get them to understand that this is the one thing that they have to learn for themselves, but also be looking for in their people. Because, you know, this is where the rubber meets the road, right? I often think about this thing where you say, like, you can learn something, you can take something in, but without that action, without the ability to own the action that you take, it almost becomes meaningless. So you have to have like the knowledge precede action. And that's where accountability is about taking action and owning that action. For me, at least that's how I interpret it. Yeah, I I 100% agree. And, And the way I saw it, 
was obviously taking ownership of what's happening, like take ownership mm. up and accountability down. Right. You take ownership yeah. uh, to the boss because we always have somebody, whether it's a client, an investor, a board, we always have somebody above us to answer to. But then maintaining that accountability down. Yeah, I'll take a shot for the team, but we're going to correct whatever happened. And I think that's like the big dichotomy for me in the realization I had is like, yeah, I'll take that. I'll take the shot for the team, but I'm also going to make sure in the military, you know, you're going to get smoked. You're going to go do some push-ups. You're going to do whatever corrective action, right? We can't do that yeah. in the corporate world quite, but I would love to get back to giving uh, clients push-up assignments. That'd be awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's lessons in that, right? <laughs> <laughs> a couple. They don't usually like those at all. But as, as we're talking about books, I do want to highlight, of course, yours, Climbing the Right Mountain. Can you give us a little bit more insights on yours and a couple maybe lessons that you're teaching in it? Yeah, absolutely. So I'll start with just saying that the book is not just about my story, but it's really about this, you know, the concept that most of us start to climb our mountain, which is our career and our lives. And we get to this place where we feel like, gosh, I'm not sure if I like where I'm going to, or, you know, you get to the top of the summit and you say, I don't like the view and what I've had to sacrifice to get here was not worth it. And one of my key messages is that you have to define success on your ter own terms. Don't let society, don't let other people tell you what you should be striving for. Let it be on your own terms. And when you do that, when you define your, you know, your journey on your own, you know, your path based on your own terms, you can find fulfillment along that journey in a different way. A lot of times when we think about it from the perspective of who do I want to be? What is the person I want to be? How do I want to show up the qualities and attributes of that person and not the title and not the things that my job will get me? It changes our view of how we navigate. So that's a lot of what I connect with in the book. For my personal journey, what I found was that I was striving to be this finance executive. And, you know, on the outside, I was seen as a successful person, sorry, <laughs> on the outside. And what I found that I wasn't satisfied internally, I didn't feel, I felt empty inside. I wasn't connected with who I truly wanted to be. And it all came to a point where I was burning myself out to please some external factor that wasn't really internally wired. And when I finally got myself off of that treadmill through many different things, I got the clarity I needed to say, it's time for me to leave the corporate world and do something different. And that's what I did. I love that because you're talking about alignment. And I think that's a big thing I've seen in the police and military. And as I've moved into similar spaces as you, that lack of alignment and lack of authenticity, like or being authentic to oneself you know, it's like, this is what I think the world should see of me, but it's really not who I am aspect is really difficult for people as they step into their own identity. Have you found a key to success there of like, you know, owning who you are and then putting that out into the world in authentic ways? Yeah, I love how you say that. And I'll say it slightly different in the sense that like, you have to stop limiting yourself by putting yourself in a box because everyone else is trying to define you based on what their label of you is. So Using my example, you know, people would see me and they'd say, oh, a finance person, a finance guy. Oh, you, you must do taxes, right? Or you must, you know, how to do all these things. And I'm like, okay, well, no, that's not what I do. But, you know, I want to transcend that label of who I was. And oftentimes I realized that I was trying to do to actually play the role. So when we stop defining ourselves by our jobs and by these labels that we conveniently use, 
we can get out of our box and start to think about ourselves as who are we really? What is the deeper meaning of who we are? And not to get existential, but who do we want to be beyond the labels that we've been using and you know, trying to fit into that box by conveniently showing up as a different person. And I'm sure you've done the same thing for yourself in many ways where you've had to show up as a different person because it's expected of you mm-hmm. to be that. And that's something that I talk about pretty often in, in the military and even corporate constructs where the military is really great at defining what a leader should look like, right? Yeah. There's Here's the science of this is what it takes to be a leader but they forget the art form, which to me is like the application of like, how do you actually fit into this parameter wall without losing yourself? And it seems like that's a lot of transition issues I see with veterans is like, here's the box, go sit in it, don't leave it. And this is how you're going to be a success in the military. But then when it turns into entrepreneurship or transition to the corporate world or trying to be their own leader, they're like, I don't know what to do now. And it seems like it's a constant struggle. And that's transitioning from pretty much anything that is, whether you're the financial guy, right? Because you quote unquote do taxes or, you know, you're obviously doing so much more than that, but it's like one of those where stepping into who you are is such a big leap for a lot of people. And I think we've all been there, right? Yeah. And I guess one of the things that I'll tap into is that it's okay to not know like how to define yourself. It's to not define yourself is actually even better because then you can be comfortable with the not knowing and, when you, as a entrepreneur, as a person who's doing a job and saying, hey, I'm comfortable not knowing the answers, but I'm also comfortable telling you that I'm going to figure it out because I, I do that. This is, I solve problems. That's, what, that's how I'm wired. That's my skill. And so, you know, it's not to belittle who I am. It's just to tell you clearly that I'm not going to like fake it and tell you that I have the answers. I'm going to tell you that I'm the type of person who will figure it out. And a lot of that, I feel like, has to deal with leaning into different aspects of that and and leaning into like that out of leaning into discomfort, right? Getting out of your comfort zone, leaning into that aspect. And that's kind of like when anytime I've done that, it's like, all right, this is where I need to be because that's where the growth happens. But Mm -hmm. it's really overcoming limiting beliefs. How do you help clients work their way through these limiting beliefs to actually get themselves out there? Yeah, I mean... One of the most convenient ways to do that is that when people say, oh, I can't do that, or there's, you know, I'm not the type of person who does that. I always say, well, you know, you're missing one word that goes at the end of your sentence yet. I mean, there's no reason why you can't do the thing you want to do. You can add yet at the end. It's like, I'm not that type of person yet, which means that you have the possibility to become that person if you really want to. But desire is the first starting point. If you have a desire to want something, There should be nothing that gets in the way. And I often think about this from the perspective of the most successful people, but what really differentiates them from the the rest of us is (laughs) this really like singular focus towards a a goal that is, you know, they're so driven towards that goal and so passionate about that goal that nothing will get in the way of them accomplishing it. Sometimes like food and, you know, like eating meals and sleeping, that becomes like secondary to their goal. Yeah. It's one of those where we kind of get that tunnel vision and I call it like the flow state, right? You get in this flow state where you're aligning your passion and it's like, yeah, you blink and it's been 18 hours and it's like, oh crap, I guess I should go eat something because I might be hungry. Right. Yeah. And it sounds bad, but at the end of the day, that's actually, (laughs) it's kind of nice to be able to be in a place where you love something so much that you have to tear yourself away from it sometimes. (laughs) That just goes back to the line, right? 
right? Align yourself with the passion, yeah. the purpose, the things that you want to accomplish in the world. And if you start doing the business, quote unquote, side of that, where your business is aligning towards that purpose and passion, it kind of just changes the game for what you can accomplish. And then obviously getting lost in the, the work where you'll never work another day in your life, essentially. Yeah. Yeah. Nothing's a hundred percent peaches and roses and like, you know, rainbows. No. <laughs> all the time. There's no doubt about it. There are aspects of jobs, no matter which job you have, there's days that you're like, I'm not really feeling it today, but and that's okay, because those days will set you up for the next part of your growth edge, which is going to allow you to say, yeah, you know, that day wasn't great, but the next day I'm going to figure out a way to make it better. It gives you some room for growth. Yeah, I absolutely love that. And I know a lot about what we're talking about mm-hmm. kind of outlines to me the value of a coach and accountability partner, somebody that's there to help you through the journey. Have you had somebody in your life and in your journey you want to share with us that has kind of been that person for you? Yeah, I love this question. And I'll say it this way. I didn't realize that I did until I was recently reflecting on this, you know, oftentimes I used to say like, gosh, I wish I had a coach. I wish I had uh, a mentor. I wish I had somebody who like would have helped me along the way to do these things. And now in hindsight, I did have those people, but they did it in a way that they challenged me. I had a boss. I worked at Gillette many years ago, many, many years ago, back in the suit and tie day. And this particular boss, she used to like challenged me day after day after day. And I hated her for it. <laughs> and then I reflect back and I say to myself at the end of that engagement, I was, a, it was a year long program. I was like, why did she do that? And the reason why she did it is because she knew that I could handle it. And she knew that it would make me a better person for it. And that to me was a turning point to realize sometimes the people we most are challenged by are our best teachers, our best mentors. Yeah. Cause it's like, and I think this is a big thing that is almost external validation, but not really. It's one of those that they see the potential in us. So it's like, if you can look at it in the perspective you just said, it's like, it's validating because somebody's buying into your capabilities. But yeah. then in the moment, we don't look at it like that. It's like, golly, I wish this person would stop giving me a hard time. But if you can flip the script and that internal narrative, it turns into, oh, well, they're giving me a hard time because they know I can achieve this thing that I'm trying to achieve, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, but I want to make sure people are careful not to like, oh, well, my boss treats me like crap and therefore they must be the best boss in the world. Right. No, that's not the case. You know, if you're being treated like poorly, very poorly, don't, no, don't just take it because it's some part of growth. I'm talking about challenging you in the sense that like pushing on you to, to do work that you think you can't do, but you can do. So anyways. No, I, I love that. Yeah. Let's definitely put that context on there because yeah, if you're getting the, the dog crap beat out of you too often, yeah, that's <laughs> not a good, healthy environment. Like we we're talking about the psychological safety and security earlier in, in the environment. That's not a good one. Yes. Yeah. That good leader that really challenges you to to be your best, right? And is always pushing that. And I absolutely love that aspect of it. And I'd be really curious to know, I know you're doing a lot of great things. You're really putting a lot of effort and amazing things out into the world with the podcast, the book, all your coaching, and now you're mm-hmm. giving your lessons and moving forward through other leaders. I'd be curious to know, what is that legacy you're wanting to leave on the world with all of this effort you're putting out there? Yeah, you kind of hinted at it earlier, and I will just kind of emphasize it again here. You know, what I want to leave on the world is just, you know, we can inspire people through deeper, honest conversations with each other. And through that, we can create so many amazing things in the world. 
right now we're starved for that deeper connection with people. And I'm not talking about conversations where people say like, oh, hey, how you doing? It's nice to see you. I'm talking about like, you know, conversations that expand the possibilities of what people see, hear, feel, and experience in the world. And that's really where I'm headed. And that's what I want to leave. So every person that I interact with, whether through coaching, retreats, you know, programs I'm running, I'm always thinking about how can I leave them feeling as though the conversation was one that they will never forget and that they will pass that on to somebody else and allow them to have a conversation with somebody that will never, they will never forget. I think that's huge. And I think that's such a great journey to be on. Obviously it feeds perfectly into your inspiration and the purpose and the coaching that you're doing. And I'm going to give the audience that opportunity to remind them the book where you can get it, the podcast, where you can find it. Obviously all of it's going to be on your website, uh, but go ahead and tell us about those. Then of course, tell us about the organization itself and what type of programs you're going through with them. Absolutely. So where should I start? Let's see. I'll start with the podcast real quick to kind of explain, you know, what it is and what it's about. I started it about two years ago now, and it's called the virtual campfire. And what I do is I bring people on who have been through, you know, they're showing up in the world very powerfully, but they've been through a journey that got them to this place. They don't just show up out of nowhere. And so what I try to do is I take them on a journey to share their story their through what's called flashpoints, points in the journey that have ignited their gifts into the world. Obviously very intentional that we use campfire because I love this idea that Campfire has been the place where a story has been told through for eons, for years and years and years, thousands of years. And the idea is that, you know, when they come on, the stories they're sharing, they have the power to inspire and to move other people in their own lives. And so it's been an amazing journey. Some of the stories that really have impacted me are the ones where, you know, people have gone from, you know, being in a very dark place to being on the top of their game and then sharing lessons about what it took for them to get there. So anyways, I digress. I can talk about that all day. So that's the campfire. We talked about the book, Climb the Right Mountain, and I think we just touched the surface. It's a short book and intentionally short because I, I really wanted to make sure that it hit home for the people who want to like take in the concepts. And then if they want to dive deeper, I'm happy to have a conversation with them and dig deeper. And then the work that I'm doing, I do a lot of one-on-one -on -one programs with leaders or people who are in transition and entrepreneurs who are just starting their business and want some help making sure that they're tapping the right leadership that they want to tap into. The programs that I set up are very tailored to what they need, but I do a lot of like leadership development programs and facilitation with them and their teams as well. So that's really what I'm doing a lot of work on is work that helps them to get clarity and also to step into action and to create what they want in the world. I love that. And what's the, the best way for them to actually contact you? The website, social media handles, where can they go yeah. to find all this? Well, the best place to start is, is my website, inspiredpurposecoach.com. So I'd say that's a good starting place. There's a, a leadership assessment there, which we may have a chat about maybe later at some point. And I also have, I'm also available on LinkedIn. You can find me there um, under my name. And I'm on Twitter. I'm on all different places, but I think LinkedIn is the place that I'm most usually found. Love it, Tony. Thank you so much for all of that. Yes, we're definitely going to talk about the leadership journey assessment, um, especially when we dive into Tactical Friday, when you come back and really highlight how we can take the steps to become this elevated leader that we all want to be. Tony, thank you so much for the time, my friend. 
Thank you. It's been fun. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Tactical Leadership Podcast. And I hope you got a ton of value out of what we talked about today. I also want to remind you that this show is brought to you by Night Protection Services. If you're a leader in a small to mid-sized business that does five to $10 million a year in revenue and want to improve retention costs, which could actually add up to being twice your employee's salary, all through creating a safer work environment and saving up to 25% insurance costs, be sure to visit nightprotectionllc.com.